Well, good morning. Welcome again to Redemption Online. My name is Stephen. Glad you are here and you've decided to join us this Sunday morning. Welcome to those of you who are new to Redemption and to our church family out there. It's so good to see you again uh, as we meet again this Sunday morning. We're in the book of Acts. If you have a Bible, you can open to that. Now, we're in a series entitled Re, emphasis on the R-E, Redemption, preparing for relaunch. When are we going to relaunch, you might be asking. We don't have an official answer to that question yet. We're going to update you as we know more. We are hoping to have more to share this week, and we'll keep you posted with that. Uh, We're not trying to hide. We're just trying to figure out what's going to happen next. And so thank you for uh, continuing to journey with us and to join us on Sunday mornings. And uh, we'll let you know when there's something to report. In our series, Redemption, what we're doing is re-evaluating just our church and the vision of it and the mission of it. We're not throwing anything out. We're building upon the great four years that we've had as a church. And so what we're doing is we're revisiting the book of Acts because as a church, our vision is to be the church that Jesus came to plant. And the best way to be the church that Jesus came to plant is to study the church that Jesus actually did plant in the book of Acts. And so we're grateful for the four years we've had as a church. It gave us our vision. It gave us our mission to help all people experience redemption and live in freedom. It gave us a church culture, a family. Uh, It gave us a system in how we operate. And what we're doing through this series is just uh, revisiting these ideas so that we can operate most effectively so that people might experience Jesus. In this redemption series thus far, we've looked at two re-words, and we'll add a third one today. Our first re-word was receive, as in receive the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no church that Jesus came to plant without the power of the Holy Spirit. Our second re-word was regroup or re-team. We saw last week that ministry is done in teams. On June 23rd, we have team cookouts, and so I encourage everyone who's a part of our redemption family to be on a ministry team. You'll get a chance to uh, have some dinner with some of your church family get to know them. Uh, And then also your team will talk about what ministry will look like once we relaunch. Today, we're going to look at our third re-word. It's right in the text. We're going to look at it in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. says this, repent. There it is, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive, there's that word, the gift of of the Holy Spirit. So our word for today is repent, repent. Let's start with a simple definition, a radical change in one's attitude toward sin and God, a radical change in one's attitude toward sin and God. It involves a change of mind and it is a conscious decision to forsake sin and instead to enter into a relationship with God. And it was Martin Luther who said that the Christian life is a life of repentance. Repentance is not just for the unbeliever. Repentance is for both the Christian and the unchristian. Said another way, the gospel is for both Christians and non-Christians. And so too then is repentance. Repentance, after we become a Christian, uh, leads toward sanctification, growing up in Christ. Repentance before we become a Christian leads to salvation or entering into relationship with Christ. And so whether we're um, in Christ already or we're not in Christ, repentance 
is important. Now, as Christians, we don't repent so that Jesus might forgive us again. He already forgave us once and for all on the cross. Why do we repent as Christians? Simply to do what this definition just said. Uh, when we sin, our, our flesh turns away, uh, begins to look that way, and repentance then just draws our affections and our attentions back to Christ. It's part of growing up in Christ or reflecting Christ more, looking more like Christ, like the apostle John encouraged us to do, to look like Jesus. Now, um, in Psalm 85, we're reminded that uh, repentance is something that really comes from God. His strength, his power allows us to repent. His grace allows us to repent. And repentance is also one of these things um, that can sometimes be difficult to fully understand. Uh, for instance, it said that Judas repented, uh, but most commentators would agree or suggest that uh, in Judas's repentance, that it was more remorse or bitterness for it not working out the way he wanted it to work out or, or for getting caught and having consequence than a true, deep, heartfelt repentance. Now, we'll let God figure out about Judas's repentance, but we do know that repentance isn't just feeling emotionally bad. It isn't just being sorry that you got caught. Repentance is truly having another mind in regard to Christ and sin. Repentance is saying, I chose this, but now I want to choose Christ. It's to turn from something to deliberately turn to something else. In scripture, sometimes it talks about bearing fruit with repentance. In other words, there's then an outward indication that repentance was true and that repentance was real and deep. Repentance is not just saying, ah, I'm sorry that happened or I'm sorry I got caught. Repentance is saying, Jesus, I want to do it differently next time. Please change me. And repentance is necessary for both the unchristian to turn to Christ and the Christian to grow up in Christ. Sinners repenting and Christians repenting is one of the aims or the charges of the church. We say it this way. It's our mission statement around here. To help all people experience redemption and live in freedom. Well, part of that experiencing redemption and living in freedom is repentance. Seeking uh, to change from behavior, sinful behavior, turning over to holiness, turning to Christ. Uh, this word comes right out of the scripture, so it's a word that we should know, and it's a word that we should use. Again, our goal as a church is to see people repent so that they might grow up in Christ, so that they might enter into a relationship with Christ. Now, in Acts 2.38, at the end there, the verse that we read at the beginning, our key verse for today, where it says, repent and be baptized. Well, how did we arrive at that point where Peter was encouraging people to do that? Well, it came through a sermon, a pretty epic sermon. In fact, Peter preaches, the, you could call the first sermon of the church era in Acts chapter 3. Now, this was after he had received the power of the Holy Spirit, as Christ had instructed them to wait in Jerusalem until they received the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I taught on two weeks ago, when Peter received the power of the Holy Spirit, it made him a very effective evangelist. I use these words to describe his evangelism. It was both clear and compelling. It was clear 
and compelling. In other words, it was very obvious what he was saying, but people wanted to respond. And the power of the Holy Spirit allows us, not just Peter, as followers of Christ, to preach or proclaim. Some of us have the spiritual gift of preaching, so we do it in large audiences. Others of us do it in small audiences. And so we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. We regroup together as a team. And then in the context of ministry, then we preach repentance. We preach repentance. We preach transformation in Jesus Christ. We preach it in a clear and a compelling way. And so today what I want to do is I want to evaluate Peter's opening sermon in the book of Acts, because I believe as we evaluate it, we're going to learn some uh, um, some tactics, uh, strategy, if I can use that word, on what makes effective evangelism. Now, you might be familiar with Ephesians 4, and you say, well, I'm not called to be an evangelist, or I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. By the way, evangelism isn't a spiritual gift. Uh, evangelism is a just natural response of being in Christ. It's, it's a part of each of the responsibility of Christ's followers to share what Christ has done for us. Peter tells us later, always have a reason. Who? Everyone. Always have a reason to share uh, the hope that is in you. That's Christ Jesus. But what does effective evangelism look like? Well, I want to talk about that this morning because I think it's important both for us as individuals and as a church to understand what Peter was doing in this sermon. Uh, and I think Peter learned this from Jesus, and we're going to see Paul use these tactics later, uh, and we're going to see that this has been used all throughout the church history, including this day. And so in Peter's epic sermon here, by the way, I call it epic because at the end of it, 3,000 people turned to Christ. They were baptized uh, and, and, and were added to the church that day. That's a good day. And that's a good day of church. And I want us to be effective as a church. I want you to be effective as a Christ follower. And so what are the two elements that we see within um, Peter's opening sermon in Acts chapter two? Let me give you two. Number one, core doctrine, and number two, contextualized delivery. Number one, core doctrine. Number two, contextualized delivery. Now, I don't want you to be afraid of this term, contextualized delivery. It is something that each of the gospel preachers, including Christ, does. It's an important part of the advancement of the gospel, and I think I can lay it out to you here in Acts chapter 1. I think, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter two. And I think when we begin to understand the importance of contextualized delivery, uh, that we can be better or more effective evangelists. I think when we use or see contextualized delivery actually as an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it can make us more effective. Remember, the goal is that people would repent of sin and turn to Christ. That's the goal. The question now is, how do we accomplish that goal? Well, how did Peter accomplish that goal? Well, do those two things, core doctrine and contextualized delivery, and what I would call a clear and compelling proclamation of the gospel. Let me say it this way. You can preach a clear gospel, core doctrine, but it not be compelling. You can preach a compelling gospel, right, uh, that draws people in, but it not have core doctrine, and so therefore it's not clear. The aim of both the church and the individual is to preach a clear and a compelling gospel, one that has both core doctrine 
and contextualize delivery so that it might be effective. Excuse me, effective. We're in Acts chapter two, verse 22. Let me show you how Paul does this. And by Paul, of course, I mean Peter. Acts chapter two, verse 22. Men of Israel, men of Israel. I'm gonna start with contextualized delivery. The first thing that Paul, Peter, gosh, first thing that Peter does here is he knows his audience. This is contextualized delivery point number one. He knows his audience, men of Israel. Friend, if you're gonna be an effective evangelist, you need to know your audience. Now, this is going to be more important later in the sermon, but Peter knows his audience very well and is going to craft this entire sermon to his particular audience, the men of Israel. I think it was the power of the Holy Spirit as well as Peter's entire life that led him up to this point. It was all of his personal experiences plus the power of the Holy Spirit that made it so it was Peter who was the one giving this sermon. Peter knew what to say to this crowd. And as we're, we will look into the sermon later, Peter's gonna deliver the exact words, the exact storyline that was needed to compel people to want to respond. You have to know your audience. Friend, this is important today as well. It's important that when you and I proclaim the gospel or share our faith with other people, that we know who it is that we're communicating to. Let me say it this way. If I just preached Peter's sermon today, it would not be as effective. Case in point, Peter preaches later differently to a different crowd. The apostle Paul later is actually going to quote secular poets in his sermon. Peter quotes King David in the Psalms. Why? Because he's speaking to a Jewish crowd that knew who King David was, and King David mattered to them. Paul is going to use a secular poet when he's preaching to the Greeks. Why? Because they knew the secular poets, and it mattered to them. Contextualized delivery starts with knowing your audience. I've seen this in my own ministry and life. Uh, probably about a decade ago, I was invited to go down to Honduras with a missions group, and I was supposed to preach to their middle school students. And I thought, that sounds like fun. I'm sure it's 10 students in the back room of a very small um, Latin American church. That was my picture. I got there, and about halfway through the missions week, I met someone. They go, oh, you're the guest preacher. And I said, yeah, what do you want me to talk about? And they kind of looked at me quizzically like, I, you know, why haven't you been thinking about this? And they said, well, let me tell you about it. It is our big youth launch event. We've been waiting for two years. We knew you were coming down, and so we're so excited to have you. And I said, well, how many students are going to be there? They said, oh, we're hoping for somewhere between four and 500. I said, that's different than 10 in the back room in a Bible study said, great, let me write a sermon. So I wrote a sermon and then I preached that sermon and I gave it everything that I got. And you know how many people responded at the end? Hundreds, nope, zero. Nobody responded. Literally gave an altar call, nobody came up. Then when I got done, their lead pastor came up. He gave an altar call and like 46 students walked up and gave their lives to Christ. That story that, or that sermon that I preach, I've still preached it, or still preach it to this day, and it's one of my most effective sermons here in the States. Why didn't it work in Honduras? 
I didn't know my audience. It was poor contextualized delivery. Sometimes people over-spiritualize things and they said, no, 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 you should have preached the gospel. It doesn't matter. Oh, it does matter. I saw it firsthand. Delivery, contextualized delivery, knowing your audience matters. And why does this matter for us as individuals? Because it means that you have been given a circle, a circle of influence. And when you intentionally get to know the people or when you live in a neighborhood or in a school district or in an environment, you then can begin to know your audience so you can know how to contextually deliver the gospel. The gospel, deliver the gospel. I'll get to that in a second. Now, the second element of contextualized, by the way, this means that sometimes we preach different to young and old. It might mean we preach different to those who are religious or irreligious, those who have a church background and those who don't, those who are American or those who are foreign. It matters, and we adjust by the power of the Holy Spirit. Stay with me. Second element of um, contextualized delivery is this. Know their pain points. Peter says it this way. You crucified and killed. You crucified and killed. Peter's looking at this audience and he's saying, you crucified and killed Jesus. You had been waiting for Jesus forever. I mean, you've been waiting for him for hundreds of years. That's why he goes back and, uh, and, and, and quotes King David because it was connected to their pain point. The pain point for the Greeks right here was, all, or I'm sorry, for the Jews right here was, is Jesus really our Messiah? And if Jesus really is our Messiah, how do we respond to him? They killed him. That was their pain point. Peter knew their pain point, and so he went right after it. Now, if I preach to a 2020 suburban crowd, you killed Jesus. Let me tell you what King David says. You know what I'm going to get? A bunch of blank stares. Why? Because no 2020 suburbanite wakes up and thinks, I murdered Jesus. Doesn't make sense. But if I look at a 2020 crowd and I say, "Um, did you have fear over COVID? Are you um, waking up in the middle of the night worried about um, racial tensions or, or, or inequality or injustice? Or do you have economic insecurity right now? Do you find yourself anxious about your children? Are you worried about your job? That's a pain point that 2020 suburbanites can understand. It's a pain point that we then can bring the hope of the gospel into. You want to be an effective evangelist? know your audience, and know their pain point. And then, then, no core doctrine. See, it's not just contextualized delivery. If I stand up here and just preach a beautiful um, uh, um, story about some kind of cosmic love that helps you whenever you're in trouble, that's not the gospel. That's motivation. That's inspiration. That's called a TED Talk. What we're talking about is preaching or advancing the gospel. So contextualized delivery, yes, but that can't lack core doctrine. Look at how Peter preaches core doctrine. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. Point number one in core doctrine is this, the doctrine of Jesus. Jesus. You gotta preach Jesus. 
Now, for this crowd right here, they knew who Jesus was. And so Peter didn't have to go into this long, extensive dialogue about who Jesus was because they knew who Jesus was. But in our modern day, sometimes we may, sometimes we may not have to go into a um, further discussion of when I say Jesus, this is what I mean. Some of that might mean when I say Jesus, I mean that he's fully God and fully man. When I say Jesus, I mean he is the only way to heaven. When I say Jesus, I mean his death on the cross and his bloodshed is the only payment for sin. It was not just a cosmic example. When I say Jesus, I mean he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to God except through Jesus. When I say Jesus, I am talking about and affirming the Jesus of the scriptures as the only way to salvation. That's core doctrine. And we can never diminish Jesus, not for anything. We must always elevate and hold up the doctrine of Jesus as explained in the scriptures, which means, uh, Christian, we must have a good understanding of the doctrine of Jesus and why that's so important. Because if we don't preach Jesus, then we're not preaching the gospel. We must preach Jesus. And that's what Peter does here. Secondly, he's going to use this phrase, you killed Okay, now now you're seeing how sometimes contextualized delivery and pain point are both an element, I'm sorry, uh, that this you killed here can be both an element of contextualized delivery and core doctrine. Because what is he preaching in this? He's saying, you rejected Jesus. Well, what is rejection of Jesus? Sin. That there is no gospel being preached if it's not preaching Jesus and if it's not reminding us of sin. And so here what we're seeing is that the pain point in the contextualized delivery is often also our sin. Not always, but most of the time, it is also our sin or it is the false God that we worship. It's the way that we reject Jesus. And so in his sermon, Peter is saying to them, you killed Jesus. Killing Jesus is a sin. Rejecting Jesus as Messiah is a sin. And so what Peter is doing here is he's teaching the doctrine of Christ, but then he's also reminding them the doctrine of their own depravity, the doctrine of their own sin. We can't preach a gospel that's void of sin. We can't preach a gospel that doesn't remind people that the reason they need Christ is because they were born with inherited guilt from Adam, that they were a child of wrath, that that, that apart from Christ, they know no righteousness. And so core doctrine is Jesus, yes, but it is also sin. It's sin. And so I would never look at a group of people in America right now and say, you killed Jesus and that's your problem. But I might say, you're greedy and that's your problem. You love money more than you love Jesus. You're self-righteous. You think that your good works are really earning your salvation. Uh, You're fill in the blank and it becomes a pain point in a place where we reject Jesus. And so we preach the doctrine of Christ. We preach the doctrine of sin. But then look where Peter finishes up. This is really a fantastic um, quick sermon here by Peter. He says, about this in point three, it says, God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The third element of core doctrine that has to be present is the resurrection and victory over death. And I really would include in that the death of Christ as well. You can probably include that in point one or point three. But the point is this, that after you preach 
the doctrine of Christ, and after you preach the, the sin of our human heart, we must end up in number three, which is, but Christ rose from the dead. But Christ is victorious over that same sin. And so we're no longer in our sin. We no longer have to live in our guilt. We no longer have to live apart from God. We no longer have to be separated from him because Christ was victorious, because death couldn't hold him, because eternal life is now available to you, because hope can now spring forth, because redemption is going to happen, because Christ rose from the dead. And this is a full evangelistic um, uh, um, doctrine. Jesus and who he is, his death and payment of sin, our sin that was present in our life that needed a payment, and then Jesus' victory over death, which secures for us eternal life. And any gospel preach that doesn't include these points isn't a gospel sermon. But any gospel preached without contextualized delivery will be just as effective as my sermon in Honduras. But when you combine contextualized delivery and core doctrine, when you know your audience and their pain point, and when you preach core doctrine, then you have a clear and a compelling gospel. And the aim, friends, of our church and the aim of your life as a Christ follower should be, should be that you preach a clear and compelling gospel. Let me say it this way. Evangelism is not a one-size-fits-all approach. It demands articulate, careful, and thoughtful contextualization to the person or crowd you are currently connecting with. This requires that you have a group that you're focused on. And what's that group? It's the group that's already around you. It's your neighbors. It's the people that your um, kids go to school with or play sports with. If you're a student, it's the kids in your class or on your team. For all of us, it's, uh, it's the circle that we find ourselves in right now, whether that's family or friends or neighbors or coworkers. It requires having a relationship with them, and that's being intentional, uh, seeking opportunities to connect with new people. It requires then at some point probably moving past the superficial, just a quick wave, which demands both time and effort. It's intentionally seeing that you have been placed where you have been placed so that you might understand how to contextually deliver the core doctrines of the gospel. This is your charge as a Christ follower. Now you do that individually. We are also to do it as a church family. And so then this is going to impact everything. Let me say it this way, friend. Are you mature enough to biblically contextualize as Paul and Peter did in order to see people one to Christ? Are you mature enough for that? You might say, well, of course I am, but that's because I haven't told you what that looks like yet. So let me ask the question, which you, of course, said, yes, of course I am. Let me tell you what that means. We see this when the story I referenced earlier, when Paul uh, quoted a secular poet. If I got up here right now and quoted Beyonce, some of you would turn off your computers. You know why? Because you're immature. You're immature. You can't see how, how music is just as effective right now as a message as most sermons in compelling people on how they live their life. Why do you think people turn to it? Because it speaks to them. And so if you couldn't sit in a church service and hear me quote Beyonce without turning off or turning out or saying, oh, I can't believe this, 
That's because you're immature in Christ. If the whole world is turning to that and spending money on it, how can we ignore it? Instead, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we know it? And then talk about how the core doctrines of Christ speak into it? I asked you a question. Are you mature enough? You said, yes. Let me tell you what that looks like now. It'll affect uh, the way a building looks like when we meet in one someday. It'll affect the type of ministry that we offer, the language that we use, the songs or series that we do, the behaviors and attitudes of our team members. Everything then aligns with contextually delivering the core doctrine of the gospel. Paul said, I will surrender my rights. Paul said, I will even give up using my spiritual gifts so that people might be one to Christ. How dare we? How dare we then hold on to the traditions of men just because that's how we grew up? To, in essence, look at the world and say, I don't care if you come to Christ. Just give me church the way I like it. Could we be more selfish? Could we be more self-centered? I don't think so. Peter got up and preached a message of contextualized delivery, and it worked. It worked because it was Holy Spirit-driven. Now, I hope you're not missing my point here. In no way am I suggesting that we water down the gospel. In no way am I suggesting that we don't use the gospel. What I am suggesting is that we should always, with wisdom, contextualize the delivery of the gospel. I would much rather have a steak well-prepared on a plate than blended. It's the same thing, just different delivery. Of course, the gospel cannot be changed. Of course, we can never budge on who Jesus is on the fact that sin is real, on the fact that sin can only be uh, um, um, rectified through the cross. And we will never back down from that. And we will never shy away from the true gospel. But we must always, always seek Holy Spirit wisdom on how to deliver the gospel in such a way that it is compelling. A clear gospel that isn't compelling often comes across as self-righteous. A compelling gospel that isn't clear often comes off as universalism. Neither of those are okay. A clear and compelling gospel is what we've been called to. How do we know we've done it? How do we know we've done it? Oh, look at the response, starting in verse seven. This is how you know you've reached a clear and compelling gospel. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. Friend, I preached a sermon in Honduras and you know how many hearts it cut? None of them. It was a waste of a sermon. You know how a sermon is good? Because it cuts to the heart. Because if I stood up right now today and said, you killed Jesus, it wouldn't cut anyone to the heart. But I hope if I stood up today and said to somebody, you're so anxious, but Jesus says, do not worry. 
If I looked at today and said, let me tell you what David said about the coming of the Messiah, you would look at me and say, I'm not sure how that matters to my life. But I look at you today and say, let me tell you what Jesus says about um, calm and peace when it looks like the world is falling apart. Or when Peter turned it up and he said, hey, you killed Jesus. That might not mean anything to you. But if I look at you and say, you're trusting in your money more than Jesus. You care more about this world than you do Jesus. You want to do whatever you want instead of what the Bible says is appropriate. That might cut to your heart. How do you know you've preached a clear gospel? It cuts to the heart. How do you know you've preached a clear gospel? Number two, number two, it makes them desire a next step. Because when you hear a clear gospel, you go, oh man, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Number three, how do you know you've preached a compelling gospel? Because it leads to repentance and baptism. It leads to repentance and next steps. Friends, we must preach clear and compelling gospels core doctrine, and contextualized delivery. You as an individual to those that are around you, us as a church. And we, if we want to be the church that Jesus came to plant, must see the importance of contextualized delivery in the culture that we live in. We must not shy away from that which the world is craving and looking at their source of hope. Instead, we must know it, we must understand it, and then we must preach the gospel into it. And then pray, pray, friend, that we would be um, fractionally (laughs) as effective as Peter was, as the early church was. This isn't the only place where it talks about ridiculous numbers of people coming to Christ. Now, a clear and compelling gospel filled with core doctrine and contextualized delivery is effective. So where does that leave us today? Well, maybe you've been cut to the heart this morning. And maybe part of that cuts to the heart. You're asking, well, what do I do? What do I do now? Well, let me tell you what to do. Maybe you've been self-serving. Maybe you have forgotten the lost around you. Maybe you have valued your church traditions more than reaching the lost. Maybe you elevate your spiritual gifts over evangelism. Repent. You don't need to be baptized because you're probably already a Christian if you're feeling those things. So repent and take a next step. Change. 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 And ask God that he would make you a deliverer of a clear and compelling gospel. As a church, may we do the same. May we look in and ask ourselves, have we had the fervency of passion of reaching the lost that we need to have? And God, Holy Spirit, would you give us the wisdom to know when we relaunch how to be effective evangelists, not just to build a small little circle that makes us feel comfortable and cute, but may we be a force for the advancement of the gospel and the winning of souls. And Father, where we have been wrong, where I have led wrong, we repent make us better. That's what you can do right now. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for teaching us through this text. 
for making these points obvious 2,000 years ago and showing us how they are relevant to this day. And our circles of influence help us to be communicators of a clear and compelling gospel. Father, help us to know that right now, if we are cut to the heart, that's your Holy Spirit. That might be um, something in us chipping away so that we would care deeply about lost people. Help us to know how to do this as a church, never once, never once diminishing core doctrine, but always striving for appropriate contextualized delivery and make us effective at the individual and at the corporate level as a body. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.